0: Catholic Family Podcast presents Lent Around the World, daily traditional Catholic meditations read by our friends from across the globe. The Passion and Death of Our Lord Jesus Christ by the Most Reverend Alban Goodier. Part three: The Compact with Judas. The priests and elders had thus decided to defer all action till after the Paschal Festival but seemed an unlooked-for piece of good fortune compelled them to alter their plans. For we come now to the terrible story that has to be told. From the beginning of their Gospels, all the four evangelists have had it in mind. The name of Judas has never once been mentioned, not even on the day when he was numbered among the twelve, without reference being made to that which they are, at last, compelled to record. They seem to feel that in some degree they are all partakers of his shame, even as a family feels the shame when a son or daughter falls into disgrace. That one of their company, after all they had seen and heard, after all that had been done for them alone, after all their intimate friendship, after all the trust that had been placed in them, after all the powers and privileges bestowed upon them, should be capable of such a deed, was beyond words of theirs to express. They could not denounce it; they could only state the facts and leave it there. Not a word is anywhere uttered against Judas, the traitor of indignation or of condemnation, or protest. No defense is made, no palliation is offered either for Judas and his guilt or for themselves as having no part with him. On the contrary, in the account of the separate Bethany on the Friday preceding, not a week before. It is implied that thus far, at least, the rest of the twelve were in sympathy with Judas, and in like manner said they all. When, then, they come to tell the story of the betrayal, they tell it in the fewest possible words. Luke, alone, the most remote from the twelve, and therefore the least personally concerned, opens his account with the terrible words, And Satan entered into Judas, who was surnamed Iscariot, one of the twelve. From various indications, it seems evident that the final event which decided Judas to take the course he did was the supper in the house of Simon the Pharisee at Bethania during the preceding week on that occasion, like the prudent treasurer he was, he had protested against an extravagant woman's unseemly waste, so sensible had been his protest that all his companions had agreed with him, and yet, in the presence of them all, in presence of many visitors because as he murmured to himself he had done no more than his duty, he had been silenced and put down. The foolish action of a foolish woman had been preferred to his obviously sound and reasonable counsel. Since that day, his mind had been made up, and it was vindictive. Another might have been merely disappointed with the master. He might have decided that after all, in spite of the years... Together, they did not agree. He might have resigned his place among the twelve as gone his way. So sometimes ends a vocation. But Judas was not content to do only that. An injury had been done to him. He had a grievance and must be revenged. He must have justice. Moreover, for once a reason is found for evil doing, there will soon come many more. He had himself to consider, his own right, his own future. He must do for himself the best he could. In spite of apparent successes, it had long been evident to him that all was not going as well with their work as his companions seemed to hope. During the last three days, while the rest had been carried away with the glamour, the shrewd eyes of Judas had not been shut he had seen the evil as well as the good. He had not been deceived by the triumphant procession on Sunday. It had been marred by a breakdown of Jesus himself on the side of all of it. It had come to a sudden ending in the temple court as it had suddenly begun in Bethania. The cleansing of the temple on Monday, with all its display of energy and power had only shown how little Jesus had with him on which he could depend. Such an insult besides, so openly offered to the priests and elders in their own domain, could not but be avenged. As for Tuesday, what had Jesus gained? He had silenced his rivals. He had won in a contest of words, nothing more. He had not dared to follow up his words by deeds. Judas had watched the faces in the groups that had gathered about them. He had seen the enemy only the more hardened as the day had gone on, while the face and the very behavior of Jesus had but shown sorrow and depression and consciousness of defeat. He had even cried out aloud in a way he had never done before. In the midst of the conflict with the leaders against him, he had appealed to his father for help. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause I came unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. No, in spite of the flicker of success, it was evident to Judas that all was not well. It was clear which way the contest would end. And since it must be so, was he not wise? Was he not only doing his duty? Might he not even be considered a public benefactor in helping towards a quick and decisive solution? Jesus had once spoken a parable, the conclusion of which Judas had taken to heart. The children of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of light. By reasoning such as this, for the worst of crimes will always seek to justify itself, On the day after the return to Bethania, Judas finally made up his mind. Jesus had gone apart, a thing not new. The rest were waiting in the little town, not without some vague sense of unrest. Judas was among them, but he was no longer of them. Much as they respected him and looked up to him, the rest of the twelve had never been intimate with him. He was not. One whom it was easy to love. And he, on his part, had long grown tired of their company. Their impetuosity annoyed him. Their trivialities made him weary. In the course of the morning, he slipped quietly away. No one would miss him. The nature of his office left him, or led him often apart to go on errands of his own. If he went up to the city, it would be assumed that he had gone to make some necessary purchase, perhaps to arrange for the Paschal Supper. By evening he would be back again, and nothing would be observed. He went out of Bethania. Once more he climbed the hill of Olivet. Descending the other side, he passed Gethsemane on his left. He knew the place only too well. He crossed the Cedron Valley, and long before midday was once more within the temple court. There he would soon discover one of the rival disputants of the day before. He would reveal himself to him. He would ask to be brought before the council, for he had special business with it. The introduction would not have been difficult. It would seem that Judas came into the presence of the priests, where they had gathered in the house of Caiaphas. It would seem, too, that when he met them and gave the reason of his coming, they eyed him at first with suspicion. It was only natural such an ally was not to have been contemplated. Treachery such as this beyond even their wildest dreams. With all their contempt of the Nazarene and his Galilean crew, they had never thought that any one of them would be so contemptible as this. Before they could be convinced that he was in earnest in his offer that he made, that he was not perhaps a spy, Judas had need to use what eloquence he possessed. For we are told he went and discoursed with the chief priests and the magistrates how he might betray him to them. But at length he did convince them. He showed them that to do this thing was in his power. He proved to them that he was of the same mind as themselves and that for safety, capture should be made as quietly as possible in the absence of the multitude. Then he asked for terms Once Jesus was taken, he himself would be out of employment. In return for so great a public service, what reward were they prepared to give? And he said to them, What reward will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. Who, hearing it, were glad and covenanted to give him money. Indeed, they were very glad, for the question betrayed the betrayer. So long as he had claimed merely to be of service to them, they could not conceal their suspicions. So long as he affected public duty, disinterestedness, or whatever else, they could not be sure. Treachery is never disinterested. But when he revealed his real purpose, when he showed that he looked for profit for himself by transac- by the transaction, then they were glad. Then they knew that they could count upon him. At once their attitude changed. Caution and suspicion altered into welcome and blandishment. Shrewdness and circumspection into a volume of words. He was indeed a hero, so to sacrifice himself in so noble a cause. To defy this mountebank single handed, he was indeed a brave fellow. He was a faithful Jew zealous for the law. He was one to be trusted. He was to be congratulated on having rescued himself from this accursed company. Let him take heart and not falter. They would be behind him with all the force of the law. The high priest himself had long since proved that to compass the death of Jesus the Nazarene was a holy act as well as a public service. Let him not hesitate. They would protect him should anything untoward occur. If he needed helpers, he should have them, and as for himself, certainly he should be rewarded. To prove their confidence in him, they would give him his reward at once. How much would he take? Let him name his price. The price of a slave was thirty pieces of silver, and only slaves were bought and sold. Would thirty pieces of silver suffice? The eyes of Judas glistened. 30 pieces of silver, all his very own. And after all these months of poverty, depending mainly on the services of a few good women, while he stood there open-mouthed and silent, the clever men he had to deal with closed the bargain. They counted out the coins before his eyes. He saw them drop one by one. He heard them jingle on the table. He would resist no longer, even if he would. And they appointed him thirty pieces of silver, and he promised. Judas came away from that place of meeting a changed man indeed. He had gone there with his mind made up, nonetheless not without some anxiety of conscience. No one commits his first great crime without a qualm. He came away with a hardened heart that nothing henceforth would soften. He returned to Bethania, he sat down to the supper with the rest. Carefully he behaved as he had ever done before. Yet was there not at least one in the company who felt that something was amiss? And Jesus too came home from his solitude and joined them, the part in prayer. He had known all that had been done that day. Yet, though it should pierce him, he would not break the bruised reed. He, too, carefully and patiently behaved as he had ever done before. Part 4. The Preparation of the Supper At length Thursday morning came. In the evening of that day the Paschal lamb was to be eaten On that day, therefore, it was certain that the Master would return into the city, but whither would he go? During all his recent visits to Jerusalem he had never stayed under any roof, partly for the sake of his own safety, partly perhaps that others might not be brought into trouble on his account. Now it was the morning of the Day of Days, and no arrangement had been made, nor did he seem anxious to make any. He seemed almost to have forgotten, he seemed only to desire to be left alone. They would let him have his way they would not trouble him they had long been used to days such as this when jesus would leave them and give himself to prayer but in the meantime the necessary preparations for the supper must be made they would ask him for his instructions there would be the place to choose for the supper there would be the needful things to be bought the the lamb the bread the wine the herbs if he would appoint the place they would see to the rest And the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare for thee to eat the pasch? The words were the first warning bell. The disciples little dreamt what they meant to him. In the last few days, thanks to the success that had followed their master's teaching, they had become more confident so that now they could go up to the city without fear. Besides, it was the paschal season, and they would be unnoticed in the crowd of visitors. The day had dawned like any other day. The sun had risen over the hills of Galaad beyond the Jordan and was shining on them on the little hamlet that lay among along the eastern slope of Mount Olivet and was open to the first rays of the morning. The last comers to the pass were passing through the town, having started from Jericho before sunrise. Over the hill behind them, the busy world was already astir, too much astir to be concerned about the likes of Jesus or his twelve. Perhaps they told themselves this was the reason why the Master had chosen to wait yet another day alone. Not for him. That day was to be momentous. It was to be the day on which, at last, he would give mankind his all. Then, from the beginning, what he did on that day should be done in a manner worthy of it. On a former great occasion, he had chosen whom he would himself. On this occasion, to prepare for his crowning act of love, he would choose not the usual custodian of the purse, but the two who were nearest to his heart. He looked around the group of his disciples, his eyes rested on Peter and John. Go ye, he said, and prepare for us the pasch that we may eat. That we may eat. Can we not hear the note of affection as he dwelt upon these last words, especially in the light of what was to come of the bread from heaven which that night he would give them? Can we not hear him linger on the sentence, on all that it meant for him, ignoring for the moment the question they had asked him? They must repeat their quest their request. Peter and John and would indeed go as he bid them, but whither. But they said, Where wilt thou that we prepare? The answer he gave was strange and emphatic and detailed. Yet was it close akin to the answer he had given in that same place on the Sunday morning before. Now as then he looked up the road and knew what would happen. Then he had told them of the ass they would find and its owner, and that they were to, what they were to say and do. Now he told them what they would find at the city gate. And now as then, without questioning, seeming to notice nothing strange, knowing well that what he said would be, they listened and obeyed. And he said, Behold, as you go into the city, there shall meet you a certain man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in, and whithersoever he shall enter in, you shall say to the good man of the house, The master saith to thee, My time is near at hand, with thee I make the pasch. Where is the guest-chamber where I may eat the pasch with my disciples? Peter and John went upon their errand, associated now in a special way, though as yet they did not realize it before the night was over they would realize it more. Years afterwards they would look upon the choice that was made of them that day as a singular mark of love and favor. They went upon their errand over all of it, passing the barren fig tree at the summit, by the same road that Judas had taken the day before, by the same road that on the preceding Sunday the procession of the palms had traversed. But they did not go into the temple. When they had crossed the brook, Cadron, they turned up the narrower lane to the left and entered the city by the gate below the temple's southern wall. Close by the gate, in the year before, Jesus had come upon the man born blind and had sent him to the pool of Siloe on the slope of the hill outside the city to be washed and healed. Close by that gate he had friends, though but a little higher up the street were the homes of his bitterest enemies, Annas and Caiaphas, the priests and the Pharisees. As Peter and John entered the city, they beheld what had been foretold to them, a man carrying in water from a well outside, either from the pool of Siloe or from the well now known as Our Lady's Well. They followed him as they had been bid. He went along the narrow street that cut through the southern quarter of the city, the strong wall of the temple towering up on his right. When he neared the houses of the priests, just before he reached the garden that surrounded the house of Annas, he turned to the left down a little lane that led to a house below. He passed under an arch into the courtyard, and Peter and John followed. It was the abode of a well-to-do citizen, to whom clearly they were known. They called for the owner of the house and gave him the appointed message. He received them gladly. He was honored that the master should choose his abode for this favor. The best room he had should be at their disposal. Yes, he was honored indeed, far more than he knew. And the Ark of the Lord abode in the house of Obederom the Gethite three months, and the Lord bless Obederum and all his household, from the Book of Kings. If the Lord blessed the house of Obederum, what will he not have done to the house which was to be the scene of that supper? The good man of the house went before up the stone steps that led from the courtyard to a room above, a large room, some twenty feet square where the tables and couches were already prepared for the Paschal Supper. That this should have been so need not surprise us. In many houses in Jerusalem, tables were laid that night not only for each household and its own guests, but also to receive the thousands of pilgrims who had come up for the festival. To show hospitality to as many of these as possible on this night of all nights was a point of honor with the dwellers in the city. Peter and John saw that all was ready, There were needed only the lamb and the bread and the bitter herbs and wine. These they would buy either in the bazaar in the west of the town or in the outer court of the temple. At the appointed hour for sacrifice they would attend at the ceremony where the lamb was slain. Then they would return to the house, roast the lamb, prepare the food, set all in order in the room. In the late afternoon, when all was ready, they would return upon the road by which they had come to meet their master and the rest on their way up from Bithynia.